is that energy should be inexpensive and abundant. And that we shouldn't be going through these energy crises. That, that that is a solvable problem through technology. However, there is a very limited supply of fresh water on the earth. It's very limited. The vast majority of the water on the earth is in the oceans. And to convert ocean water into fresh water is very expensive. Welcome to Unstoppable, the podcast for anyone who believes that their past and current circumstances do not define their future potential. I'm Karina Burton, your host and co-founder of CPR Construction Cleaning. This show is a series of pro-founding conversations that share stories and experiences of unstoppable people. Those who are willing to change, discover what it means to be aligned, and who are also willing to face tough challenges that stand between them and their dreams. As a coach and marketing expert, I live my life believing that I am unstoppable. Now I want you to know that you are unstoppable too. I'm so excited to have David Malcolm as our guest. He is the founder and inventor of High Sierra Showerheads, who followed his passion for water conservation with over 35 plus years in the irrigation industry. Addressing and solving a need that did not compromise quality and provided a solution to many industries that were desperate in desperate need of water conservation, including homes with families. Thank you, David, for joining us this week on The Unstoppable. Well, thanks, Karina, for inviting me. And for all the listeners, I hope that you stayed the entire show because we do have a little fun announcement at the end of the show. Um, so to kick it off, I wanted to, you know, with water conservation and you being in the irrigation industry for so many years, give us a little bit of background, um, you know, how that started and how you became involved in this type of industry. Well, I, I actually followed my dad into uh, the industry. He was a design engineer back in the 50s and 60s at Rainbird, uh, primarily agricultural irrigation at the time. And then uh, in the mid-60s, he moved all of us kids and mom up to Fresno. And then he started his own sprinkler manufacturing company called WeatherTech. And so, and uh, even I was only 11 years old at the time and and my older brother Rick and me uh, uh, would, uh, on weekends, we would go to the, the plant and uh, work on sprinklers. So I've been around sprinklers, irrigation sprinklers, my entire life and uh, followed my dad into it. Could you give us a little bit of background how your dad got into the irrigation and in general, because, you know, I think at that time period, though, you don't really think about water conservation being at the forefront of people's right. minds. And, and my dad's experience at uh, Weather, or rather Rainbird, was just came by chance. He, uh, I believe that he had just an opportunity to, he was, an, he was a, a mechanical engineer, had an opportunity to uh, apply for a job without any experience in irrigation, and he got it, and uh, and then 
he stayed with irrigation pretty much uh, through the rest of his life. And that's, that's amazing. When did he start his first business? Uh, the first business was probably this nozzle business is really the, I know that he tinkered a little bit with some other stuff, attempted to start some businesses in the, um, um, well, it was in the 1960s. Uh, he developed, uh, some, something, um, uh, there was some unique feature in a, um, in a fishing pole. <laughs> And believe it or not, I still have the uh, prototypes in our shop today. And uh, that's what he was going to do. And he was going to make them and sell them and get rich. But it never worked out. And he just, and so at the time he was working at Rainbird, then he started WeatherTech. So really, WeatherTech was his first experience at self-employment. Although uh, WeatherTech was, um, uh, had investors. And so it wasn't like my dad just working by himself or with a couple of other people. It was, uh, they had a large facility and maybe a hundred employees and uh, built a lot of sprinklers back then. And, uh, but it wasn't until after he left uh, WeatherTech that uh, he developed, well, it was at a time in the 1970s when we were going through an energy crisis similar to what we're experiencing today. Um, uh, and he, uh, uh, came up with this idea to improve the, um, maintain the water efficiency of sprinklers, sprinklers that he had designed and built. He wanted to maintain their high efficiency, but at a lower water pressure and the lower water pressure means that the pumps are going to use less energy. And so that was really significant at the time. Uh, PG&E, uh, the local power company, was raising their rates. Uh, nothing like they are today, but back then it was a big jump. And farmers were looking for ways to cut back on the cost of uh, irrigation. And that was that's that's how that started. And uh, and I continued to manufacture those uh, nozzles with some improvements. Uh, but basically the same design he's, he came up with in the 1970s. So you, it's really fascinating. I don't think that everyone always thinks or correlates, you know, the energy efficiency with water, right? You think about back in the mm -hmm. day with how um, energy and um, electricity was created through uh, these water systems. And we don't think about that today. Right. Um, we think about, you know, however Edison created the light bulb and, you know, through the uh, electrical current. But really, it really is truly still utilized through um, through water. And then, you know, in the United States, which is where we're at, you're in California, I'm in Arizona. But, you know, I don't think about there being the need for water conservation. I don't think about it on the daily. Um, California is a little bit different. They talk about it much more often, but mm -hmm. I don't think that most people even really put that into consideration that even though we live in the United States, that water conservation is a real serious thing and we all should be considering it. And also the energy efficiency mm -hmm. through it as well. Right. 
Well, it takes a lot of energy to capture the water, uh, to treat it, and to deliver it. It takes a lot of energy. So it really doesn't matter where you're at in the country. There's a lot of costs involved in delivering fresh, clean water to people's homes and businesses. Okay, and, uh, and so even in areas where it rains a lot and there's plenty of water, like on the shores of the Great Lakes, we have a lot of customers over there for our uh, shower heads because of the water concert or the uh, because of, because they use less water and there's a great interest in those areas even though there's so much water out there uh, for energy water conservation products because of the high cost of capturing the water treating it and delivering it and you have done such a great job at having water conservation, but your biggest thing is there is no sacrifice on how the water is delivered, right? So for um, farming and, and uh, golf courses, irrigation, you're making sure that it's maximizing the, um, the grounds, right? The efficiency right. of it. And then with your product for the shower head, it's the quality of how it feels. It's not the amount of water that's actually being delivered. It's how it makes the shower no, feel. I like to say, even with the, the sprinkler nozzles that we make, the hose-end nozzles and the shower heads, there's one thing that they all have in common, and that's uh, the uniformity of the pattern. Okay, So with sprinklers, that uniformity of the pattern is so important. Because uh, the, the crop or the grass is going to grow more uniformly if the pattern is uniform, okay? Well, when you're taking a shower, that the, we, I believe that the water is going to be more effective if it reaches you in a uniform pattern. I'm sure everybody's experienced shower heads that have literally no water in the center part of them. And to me, they feel very uncomfortable, maybe a little stingy where the nozzles are hitting you and there's no water in the middle. And uh, the shower heads that we make uh, deliver a full spray of uniform droplets. And I believe that that has a lot to do with the reason why they work so well, why people like them. And it's the uniformity. So let's go back a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about how your dad was an entrepreneur and you and your, you mentioned one of your brothers, um, that you would go to his place of business and, you know, kind of tinker around there. And then you decided to continue forward with that. You know, was this, mm -hmm. was this just you? Was there, you know, other people in your family who wanted to follow um, in the footsteps of what your dad was doing? Like what, what made you passionate mm -hmm. about that? What continued your drive into? Oh, you know, that's hard to say. I just, I was always a big fan of my dad. You know, he, uh, um, the, the, Products that he developed uh, over his lifetime were um, 
incredibly successful. Uh, for example, the, I mentioned that my dad had started his own sprinkler manufacturing company, and that was in 1970. And almost 50 years later, that sprinkler manufacturing company finally went out of business. It went out of business because of mismanagement. But what I think is very uh, a testimonial to my dad's ingenuity was right up until the very end, 50 years later, their number one sprinkler uh, in terms of sales was the first sprinkler that my dad uh, designed and put into production in 1970. So th that's quite a run, you know, for a, a product to go almost unchanged over a 50-year period. So, so I, I was always motivated by, you know, I, I was his fan. I was his, and I, and I always had this uh, vision of me carrying on with the torch, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, my dad uh, died at a relatively young age. He was 60. And uh, I was my early 30s at the time. And I felt uh, compelled because my dad had so much unfinished business. He wasn't done, but he had to go. He didn't have any choice. Uh, he had leukemia. And, uh, and it was, I, was, I was compelled to, uh, to finish his unfinished work. So when you took on the business, mm -hmm. what was that like for you? You now are the owner Mm -hmm. and moving the torch, so to speak. Right. What did that look like for you? Well, fortunately, it was a little bit scary and uh, didn't know, you know how I was going to be able to make it work. But fortunately, there were uh, opportunities that, uh, that uh, appeared and uh, new opportunities that I could, that were not you know, radical changes from what I was doing, but it was just a transition from, let's say, agriculture to golf course irrigation. Basic design of the product was the same, just more water. And, uh, and, and so I was able to do that, to transition into other markets without having to you know, reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. And that was incredibly helpful because... Um, because it opened up this whole new world for me and it was golf course irrigation. And I uh, had a nice run at that and uh, made quite an impact on uh, uh, golf course irrigation at the time. Uh, when I first started, uh, when I made my first uh, retrofit nozzles for golf course sprinklers at the time, there was the, um, uh, Uniformity of sprinklers on golf courses was just terrible. Uh, and maybe it wasn't that much worse than what it was in ag, but it was more noticeable. For example, in a, on an agricultural uh, sprinkler system, it might run for 12 hours. Well, over a 12-hour period, that's a lot of time for, the, for a little bit of wind to get involved and move water around. And, and after 12 hours, you might come up with a fairly decent pattern. But on a golf course... They, they irrigate overnight, and maybe they've only got um, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to be able to put that water down. 
and the sprinklers are only rotating once every three minutes. So maybe it only goes around five times in the whole irrigation cycle. And so it has a very short period of time to be able to get it right. And it wasn't getting it right. And so it was leaving uh, very unsightly patterns on golf courses. Another thing that's typical of a golf course uh, is that they can't over-irrigate like you can in a farm. And that's because on a daily basis, there's equipment that's running up and down the grass fields, uh, uh, the fairways, and on the greens. And uh, if you over-irrigate, then you call it, you create a mud hole, right? And, uh, and, and the equipment gets bogged down in it. It makes ruts. It's really ugly. And so it, it, it takes that option of over-irrigating to compensate for bad uniformity. It takes that option away. Right. And so what you end up with is green and dry and green and brown and green and brown and green and brown all over the golf course. And these nozzles that I um, developed for golf courses um, made the application of the water, of the distribution of it more uniform. And so it got rid of the dry areas without over irrigating the, um, the wet areas. Okay. So do you feel like you were an industry leader when it came to that well, specifically? Yes, it, it, because at the time, the manufacturers of sprinklers were not accepting that their nozzle was the problem. Okay, They would blame it on other things, but not their product. And I come along and I proved it to the entire industry that it was a nozzle. It was always the nozzle. So fast forward, you know, 20 years or longer. And now the, um, the irrigation industry in golf is really caught up to um, what I had developed 20 years earlier. And so they're doing a much better job with their current um, product line to apply water uh, uniformly. And I, I really do believe that if I hadn't come along and proven that it was the nozzle, maybe they'd still be denying what it is and fighting over how to fix it. There always has to be someone who really starts to challenge every industry to, you know, pique people's curiosity of what's possible and what's not possible. And mm -hmm. sometimes it does. It really, you think about history and time, it takes sometimes a bit of time before people really catch on and then they look back and say oh i remember when so and so actually started to try and dabble into that and yeah. created something and it was so, yeah and we we retrofitted uh, the biggest and the best golf courses in the united states and uh, for example in down in southern california uh, the golf courses that we retrofitted, uh, the Riviera Country Club, Bel Air, Los Angeles Country Club, just the biggest and the best because they believed in what we were doing and it worked. Now, the manufacturers, they didn't like it. And uh, except Rainbird was a little bit, their approach was different. Rather than try to um, put me out of business like Toro did, uh, they reached out to me and hired me to design nozzles for their sprinklers. They were smart. Yeah. <laughs> but Toro, they didn't. They never did that. They, did, they uh, uh, didn't want me around. And uh, 
and did everything they could to make it impossible for me to make a living selling uh, nozzles. And I'm sure today, though, that they have, um, you know, decided to probably also accept these, these, you know, changes of how they have yeah. their nozzles. And, you know, it's just really breaking into an industry of outside standards. There are people who, I mean, constantly, I see it in the construction industry. They're just like, nope, that's not how it works. And they're not willing to accept something that is different, mm -hmm. but has a really, um, viable change that could really improve the industry right. and impact it in a positive way. No, and that and that's where we're at now with our uh, shower heads. Yeah, we, so I wanted to talk about yeah. that and see how I do really like how, you know, your story of being this passionate person about the water conservation, but also you know, your love for your dad and how you really looked up to him, but also, you know, everyone has a desire to want to have a financial successful business. Mm -hmm. And you have been able to really mold this company into, into that, right? You're doing something that is every day saving water and, right. um, which is, you know, we, we get one earth and, you're doing something with your business that positively impacts everyone's life. Right. Um, it's in simple ways, but it's a real thing. And, you know, so now you've created High Sierra Showerheads. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how your product differentiates in, um, in, your, in this industry for, you know, water conservation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it just so happens that our design works best with very low flow rates. Okay, so we came into this uh, industry once and again that we transitioned. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We transitioned from, remember originally agriculture to turf. Now we're, we transitioned from turf into plumbing. So we're making shower heads now. And they, the, the, the technique with the, that we use to manufacture them, very similar to the way that we make the nozzles. So we're able to use the same equipment that we make nozzles with to make the shower heads. And, uh, Can I ask you, what was your aha moment that made you, you know, as you were talking, it made me think, what kind of like the light bulb go off in your, in your mind saying, you know what, I'm going to create a low flow shower head that is going to be the best in the market. Like what, what was that well, moment you and what it looked like? In, in addition to the nozzles that we made for and continue to make for golf course sprinklers, well, I developed a, um, a nozzle and I got a patent for it that I connected to the end of a hose and, and uh, golf courses, irrigators would use it to hand water uh, hot spots on golf greens. Okay. And I would demo this uh, nozzle at a golf course. And I remember being at, a, at this golf course, not too far from here, holding it up in the air, looking at it and going, man, that would make a cool shower head. <laughs> 
So that was your aha moment right there. Boom. That, that was it. And, uh, but it was very many gallons a minute more water than the, uh, than the shower head would ever be. And, um, and so I started tinkering and then I realized that really this, uh, nozzle design, uh, for a shower head works best at very low flow rate. So we, we uh, started with one and a half gallons a minute, which is 40% less water than a conventional, uh, shower head. And then when you started to create the process of inventing this shower head, how long did it take you to actually have one that you were able to kind of put on the market or test it? Well, it didn't take long to make one to test, but the first ones didn't work very well. And I would, uh, you know, give it to different people to test and nobody really liked it very much. So it needed quite a bit of work, but, uh, I don't remember. It was, uh, let's say 2008. So really a, a couple of years before I actually was able to, um, you know, get somebody to make the parts for me. Cause remember these are, I, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a fixture for bathrooms, and so it's got to be plated. It can't be just bare brass like we do in irrigation. It's got to be plated. So I had to find somebody who could do make those parts for me. Okay, and in the end, I ended up using the same company that makes the parts for the um, for the sprinkler nozzles, and it was a local screw machine shop, and he was able to find somebody who could plate them in nickel and chrome. And, uh, and so the first ones, um, there was, there was a lot of, of tinkering that still really needed to be done to perfect it, but we sold quite a few of them. And, uh, uh, initially, uh, to schools, there was a lot of interest from, uh, universities into, um, uh, uh saving water in the showers. And so we moved quite a few that way. And also um, it, it did fit a need in correctional facilities. So um, we sold quite a few to prisons. And, uh, but to me, I, I really wanted to have a, I wanted to be, I wanted this product to be uh, acceptable to the average homeowner and I would say it took another maybe five years before it ever got there to be acceptable to the average homeowner. Okay. And now we're so good at making them, uh, just practically everybody likes them. And they, and keep in mind, they are radically different from a conventional shower head. And in fact, you know, fortunately for us, I think same thing is happening that happened in golf, uh, completely rejected by uh, the industry. Uh, and that's happening again with, um, uh, in the plumbing industry, the manufacturers of shower heads, um, in the United States, uh, uh, they're all headed a different direction in terms of 
how they design their shower heads, how the water comes out of them. We're off in a completely 180 degree different direction on how we approach it. And believe it or not, this little company that we started 10 years ago produces the, uh, well, it's rated as the best low flow shower head in the world. And um, uh, it's definitely the number one selling low flow shower head probably in the United States. We know it definitely is on Amazon. And even if you take out the low flow part of it and search who makes, uh, who sells the most shower heads on Amazon, we uh, frequently reach uh, uh, number 10 in the country. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. What kept you from, because you're very right, when there is a conglomerate in any industry, right? They are kind of leading the way of what product or service looks like. And when you mm -hmm. think of um, bathroom appliances, you're thinking of like Kohler. Um, mm -hmm. And it's funny because I just totally went blank with anyone else, but I I automatically think of Kohler. Delta, Delta, Moen, yeah. right? I, but when I right. think of them, they're... Um, even if it looks like a steel coated, most of them feel like plastic in the inside and mm -hmm. um, very cheap. Yeah. Or you have the product where um, if they have a big face, they have the dots, right? And which I hate yeah. very much. What kept oh, you oh. away from having anything plastic because your product is all um, stainless steel? Yeah. Well, it's not stainless steel. It's, we use many different metals. We use aluminum and okay. zinc and so brass. So yours is a metal base, not plastic. Right. They're not plastic. And we actually tinkered with uh, a plastic design for a little while. And um, I didn't like it. And so we, we stopped doing that. So they're all made of metal now. And that's kind of our thing, you know, an all metal shower head. And, so do you uh, and all the practically all of the shower heads sold by American manufacturers are made in China, and they're they're plastic, mm -hmm. but they the the Chinese they do really really good job of plating plastic parts to make it look like metal. Mm -hmm. So it may yeah. look like metal, but it's not. And, uh, and they're, they're plastic. Mm -hmm. So you, so had... that's another thing you asked why we didn't go plastic. Well, that's another, one of the reasons I just remembered I couldn't find, there's nobody in the United States that is plating plastic. All that industry has gone to China. There's nobody doing it. I, that I know of, um, you know, so we, even if we were to make them in plastic, you got to plate them. You can't just have a, you know, a white or a black or, you know, different colored. Um, uh, it, it's, you're going to have to plate it with finishes that people like, like oil rub bronze, matted black, polished brass, chrome. Those are the, play, the finishes that people like. And so if you're going to be serious about 
selling your products to the uh, American consumer, you're going to have to plate them, right? And uh, and there is nobody in the United States that I know of plating plastic. So is everything created here in the United States? How, what is your... Well, it was originally developed, you know, it was developed here. All the manufacturing of shower heads was uh, originally developed and made in the U.S., but all of that manufacturing uh, has gone to, originally went to Taiwan, and now it's pretty much all in China now. But you assemble everything in the United States. Right. We have our own facility, and we um, uh, manufacture a couple of the parts that go into building the shower heads. Mm-hmm. They're important parts. It's a key component. And then we outsource practically everything else because we don't have the ability to um, machine the uh, parts in the, the quantities that we need and, uh, and then to plate them and do all those things that we, you have to do to be able to deliver a really beautiful product to your customer. So we outsource those to uh, other companies and uh, uh, and uh, but fortunately for us, the uh, you know plating uh, is not all in China. Uh, metal plating is not all in China like the plastic is. So we're able to use um, a combination of, of businesses in the United States and in Taiwan to get this work done. And um, and then we bring all the parts into our facility and build them into uh, finished products. So you saw there was a need in this industry for a better quality low flow shower head that really was doing what it said it's supposed to do. Well, yeah, and people, and to this day, most people do not like low flow. Low flow has got is a it just leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Just don't they don't like the even sound of low flow. And, uh, and so there's, there's such a negative feeling about um, low-flow shower heads uh, that, it, to me, it's a perfect opportunity for a business like ours to actually build something and make it uh, low-flow that people like. And that's what we've done. It's low-flow, but people like them. What one thing that really bothers me about um, shower heads in specific is the clog behind it. And with your mm-hmm. uh, shower head, it never, it never has. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't do that. It doesn't even do it over a duration of time. And and that's the one thing I wonder why you know the industry doesn't start kind of opening their eyes and realizing that because well, I tell you how many times I've been to a hotel mm-hmm. and you think about places like that, like um, hospitality specifically, I, you think that they would want to conserve water, right? And you had mentioned that you've worked a lot with um, universities and also um, prisons where there's a lot of people constantly. So hospitality is in that realm as well. And, you you know, maybe even multifamily, if the um, property management is in charge of replacing the, those types of things, that this is a great 
opportunity to ensure that these the longevity of your shower head as well so it's even more cost effective it's so you have cost effectiveness mm -hmm. you have you know quality and also it is very environmentally friendly as well yeah it's uh um uh, all of the water with our shower heads comes out of a single nozzle. Most shower heads that are um, the best, nobody uses single nozzle design like we do. And the, the, the closest you can find is maybe 10 to 20 nozzles. Uh, but most, But the majority of them are up to 50 nozzles. And when you... Uh, divide the hang on a second I'm in the middle of an interview <laughs> yeah it'll just be a few minutes 15 minutes okay all right so there's we've got to edit that out yeah that's okay. John that would be easier <laughs> all right so what was I saying oh the the nozzle so so a, a single right? Our, our design is a single nozzle. And when you um, uh, divide that single nozzle into 50, that means each nozzle is many, many times smaller. Okay. And so the likelihood of that tiny, tiny little nozzle clogging with, you know, water that's got minerals in it is very, very high. Our nozzle, it's the opening is so large that minerals in the water are never going to clog it. Okay. However, I can never, I cannot promise that they're never going to clog from just from anything because there are things in water people don't expect. Like uh, I have found jammed inside of our, our shower heads before um, pieces of plastic. I've found pieces of solder and these are, I'm sure that they have, uh, uh, broken free of some repairs that somebody did upstream somewhere and they find their way inside the shower head. And so it really takes something big to clog up our shower head. Which is probably, I mean, that sounds like it doesn't happen yeah. very often. It doesn't happen very often. And so they, yeah, and so they, they, in fact, personally, and we, we shower with nothing but our shower heads and I have never, um, experienced a uh, any of our shower heads clogging. So, but I do know what happens though. But we sell tens of thousands of shower heads a year, and when you have that many out there uh, with all the variables out there, uh, you know it's something is bound is bound to uh, work its way, find its way into the shower head and clog it up. But it's it's not very common. It's very infrequent. So your 35 plus years of being an entrepreneur, it sounds like you have faced a lot of adversity when it comes to doubt, where people are doubting you and, and saying, no, this is not what we're supposed to be doing, or that's not what the industry is doing. So that's not going to work. And even with the showerhead, um, I wouldn't say maybe your consumers believe that, but your industry leader, so to speak, are, you know being haters on, um, you know, your ideas because they're just not joining in on what's being innovative. 
you know, that's hard. Yeah, to that's, think about it. And that's, yeah, and that's fine for fine with me because it gives me opportunity, you know, in today's world with, um, uh, access to the internet worldwide, it gives an opportunity to small businesses like mine to reach anybody anywhere at any time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when my dad was getting started, it was much more difficult uh, because you had to use traditional means of getting your product out to the marketplace. And there's going to be people who are going to stand in your way who don't want you to be able to be, don't want you to be successful. So if all those avenues of success are closed off, then it's, you may never be able to do it, right? So who knows how many things, how many product ideas uh, were, have been developed over the years, but because before the internet, uh, there was limited opportunity. And so they just go away, right? They disappear. Nobody even knew who or what they were. But today is so different because now uh, the, the whole world is at your fingertips. And if you've got a good story to tell and you've got a good product, and that's another thing is it, I would say it, in the old days, it was more difficult to get your product into the marketplace. But once you were there, it was easier to keep a product that didn't really perform that well in the marketplace. Because, you know, there weren't a lot of people out there reviewing your stuff. There was no way to let, um, you know, other consumers know, hey, I've uh, tried this product and it's not that great. Whereas you really can't get away with that these days. Well, thank you again um, for joining on the podcast. Before I end the podcast, I did say that, um, you know, I was going to have a little surprise at the end, which... You know, some people who follow my journey know um, my entrepreneurial story and how I have talked multiple times about who has been one of, well, I would say the number one um, leading example for me to become an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I didn't want to come out and just say it with David Malcolm being my dad and also my um my example to become an entrepreneur. And I also saw my grandpa be an entrepreneur and to see, you know, our family be an entrepreneur. And I was kind of looking back and I realized um, that I was actually the first on the Malcolm side of the family to be the first female entrepreneur um, starting my own business um, with you know, employees and a team and everything. I'm, you know, I'm not a solopreneur. I'm actually an entrepreneur with, you know, employees that I have to, you know, be in charge of. And I felt, you know, extremely proud of myself. But as everyone has heard um, David Malcolm's story and his journey, now you can all see why it is that I always talk about creating solutions in your industry. Um, being somebody who wants to be financially successful, but utilizing your company as a vehicle to create 
positive impact in your community by what you're doing. You don't have to only think about the dollars. You can think about what you're doing and how you are a positive impact in those around you. So I'm so excited. I hope everyone enjoyed themselves with this episode. Thank you again, Dad. I appreciate you and I love you so much.